If you don't change the structures, even if you bring a genius person, they'll still fail. Elections don't fix things. It is us who fix things. And the elections just come to give chance to those who have been prepared to lead. Because the more we depend on the West to come and build a solution, and the more we, we empower the, the structures that we've been trying to, to fight, and the more we find ourselves remaining backwards and not able to see where we can move. With Vitor Uhuru, I come to learn that he covers uh, a broad range of expertise and field interest. Vitor, the most dominant factor that attracts me to talk to you is because you are from Kenya. To me, that on its own, it's an expertise. Yeah. That's why I want to hear your perspective to understand the democracy and ethnic dynamics in Kenya. We will be bringing in between the talk about democracy. But of course, first, I would like you to tell me who you are. What do you do? I am passionate community organizer. And um, I've been interested a lot to understand uh, issues of conflict dynamics, especially in the East and Central Africa. Personally, having experienced the 2007 post-election in my country, it's really gave me um, a strong reason and a strong motivation to come up as a person who really needs to bring solution to the perpetual tension that my country has been experiencing since that time. And I felt that I need to go deep and learn what is it that we are doing right that can make our country move forward. What is it that we're doing wrong that we should um, stop uh, feeding? I had interest in, in um, looking at the, the what conflicts I can take account into while studying the case of Rwanda. And it's really inspired me that it's true Kenya had struggled, but we still had a big way to cover and we were able to overcome it as a country. So Rwanda case was a great inspiration to me that for sure many things can go wrong for a country. And if we come back to ourselves and see what we still have, we can build back. So with that experience, uh, I was also able to look at issues of Holocaust and um, trying to compare how the world has been going through lots of conflicts. So to me, uh, as an international um, develop, development scholar and um, a peace ambassador, I feel that uh, we have a big responsibility at individual level to understand the dynamics that makes our society as it is today. Please guide me to get the full picture to understand the democracy and ethnic conflicts in Kenya. Uh, the first question to that could you provide a background analysis of the conflict and coexistence trends in Kenya? Uh, generally, Kenya got independence in the year 1963. And for sure, we as a country were so determined to get out of the colonialism and build ourselves as a strong nation. But the challenge came when we had uh, the conflict of which way do we go as a country? And... Um, we had one side of the country was saying, let's take the capitalism side. Um, and, the, and the other side of the country was saying, let's go the socialist um, path. So this uh, conflict of determining like which formula do you use to grow our country ended up creating a big divide 
wherein we had two main political opponents uh, who started off as friends, uh, our first president Kenyatta and his vice president Jamuyo uh, Odinga. So Kenyatta was more of let's go capitalism, Jamui was like let's go socialism. And um, the fact that they could not agree, they ended up falling apart. And um, the country, um, we never had a way like to reconcile our views about how we want the country to be. Uh, but uh, Kenyatta tried his best to ensure that they put up a, a good foundation for the country, although it was a foundation still which was shaky because it, it had allowed some impunity, individuals who are now thriving on um, exclusion and um, robbing the state, uh, the resources that people, the country was developing. When Kenyatta died, uh, the transition went to our second president, who was Moy. And if, instead of him trying to correct the, this problem we were having of uh, corruption getting in and um, exclusion of different groups, his presidency tried to maintain a status quo. But when we came to the year of 1982, there was an attempted coup because there was a lot of challenge in the country that people were like, which way do we go? And after the coup, we started to have um, um, individuals saying that the government needs to check itself, that we need a way to come down, to come and talk together. The county went back to one, it, it, at that point when the president felt that, when he saw the coup, the coup d'etat, he said that now he wanted a one-party state. And this created more anger among the citizens who were like, now we cannot stand having one party state. We need dynamic voices. People can contribute from a different part of the country. People have different views of how they want the country to run. Be more inclusive. So this wave uh, is separate from the civil society and um, more so like from the church, which opened a platform for people to organize and talk and speak. In 1991, people went to much protest and the president had to accept that the country needed a multi-party state. And um, at that point, uh, we, we, we had more, uh, several parties in the country which were giving voices to different parts of the country who were able to contribute in development. And uh, we had a democratic election in 1992. It was not very successful. And uh, we also had another election in 1997, which was shown in some um, a lot of progress because uh, the opposition were able to organize themselves and ask the government that we need um, to be able to see how election is run. We have to participate in this thing because we don't want to see a situation where we go to election with predetermined results. So we have to bring representatives uh into the election body. So the president allowed that because the country was in ten, uh, and there was a lot of tension and the only way to quell down the tension was to listen to the position. And uh, yes, the election was not so fair, but people felt that they, were, they had some contribution into the elections. But the journey went up to the year 2002 when there was another opportunity. At this point, uh, we had one person called Raila Odinga who came together and united the opposition party. And uh, with the support of the civil society, they were able to stage a force that was the government could not stop. And they say that we are now ready for the elections. And the country was like, this is a transition time. And for the first time, the president choice, the president was actually retiring. So the person you had put as the choice uh, to succeed him <clears throat> lost the elections. And the, the government, which had been in power for more than 25 years, actually been had been in power since independence, had to go home and be the opposition. 
So the journey was like the kind of like, yes, people believed in the people power. And uh, we had the civil society also echoing that now it is a time now to cement this reform. But the challenge is that when these individuals joined the government, they were they had some agreement because we had a president called Kibaki who got in power in 2002 election. There was an agreement that he made with his colleagues. In this case, it's Arello Dinga who had campaigned so much. They made a memorandum of understanding that they're going to make a government which is very inclusive. A government that doesn't give the president all the powers. Mm-hmm. We want a government which brings president into accountability because the president um, in the former regime had so much absolute power so that he could change the law anytime. He was the appointing authority. That means that you cannot go to the court to address your issues. You cannot go to the parliament to bring any issue that the president doesn't approve. So we needed a, a system where we had a strong parliament and which is headed by the, the, the prime minister. So they, that was their argument that when you start the government, who came back when you establish a government, give us a prime minister. So Raila Odinga, because he's campaigned for you, ensure that he becomes a prime minister because we have the numbers in the parliament. Let the members of parliament uh, give him the chance of becoming prime minister. But this argument was not followed. Mainly in 2003, when the, when the new government was in power, they never followed this agreement that we need um, a government that has a shared power that it is not only put in the presidency, it is like spread with other institutions. Mm. So they also had a, an agenda of changing the constitution of the country because the constitution for a long time was favoring the government and, and it, it, it was also, uh, it had a lot of colonial legacy that was not favorable to the population. So there was need to change the constitution. And uh, the civil society, the church community was ready with, 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 the, with, the, with the people and like helping to educate the people at the need of having a more responsive and accountable government. Let me just clarify one thing there. What do you mean by um, that there was a lot of colonial legacies? The, the constitution that we were having, it was giving uh, the president unquestionable powers. First, you could, you could be arrested at any time and uh, be detained without due process of the law. And this is what the, the colonialists were doing before that. When every time you have an opposing voice, you will be taken out of the society. So two is that the president also had the powers, like if you wanted to take your, your land, he could take it at any moment, any time. So you do not have the right to own property. It would be any institutional structures that will guarantee the safety of individuals in the country such that nobody just come and take your life at their will. Nobody just take your property at their will. They need to go through a due process. In any institution where the, the police are not able to come, just don't come to you to arrest you without any reason. They have to prove beyond reason that you are a person who is who is who is supposed to be questioned because they have evidence. But you know, in a situation where people just sit down and decide to do certain things which are not um, generally acceptable. So if there's a, we need a, a situation where people can question the government's uh, decisions, the government's actions. But for that, I think um, there calls to an environment where the system itself is well-established. Looking at those changes, how would you describe the institution now in a way that you understand that, well, democracy as the country chooses to define it works? Issue of, I think you brought a very good term, issue of participation. And participation means representation because you cannot have everybody come on the table. We wanted diverse, dynamic voices from different parts of the country. And how do you achieve this? 
We achieve this by having different individuals who must not be appointed from one central authority. The appointing authority was supposed to be also uh, delegated. Now, for instance, the president is appointed, but everybody goes to the election to elect the president. So we want the president to head the executive because he's been elected. But we have the other arms of the government. We have the parliament. The, so the president should not be able to interfere with the elections of the people. So that when we come, when we have the members of parliament, we have um, a chamber, we have an institution which people can um, believe that they can discuss the issues affecting the country and legislate policies that can guide the government, the country into a good direction. So we did not want a situation where the president just come and appoint so and so as the member of parliament. We wanted um, the people who are elected by the president, by the people themselves, they are there as representative within the government and exercising their oversight role, looking as is the, is the executive functioning. This was achieved, it had been achieved, but it, it was not as uh, coherent as it, it started being when we had the new constitution, which was giving more, uh, like, uh, more transparency and more power to the, the electoral, electoral bodies. The other thing is that when we had the new constitution, actually, after the post-election violence, uh, we, we were able to come up with a new constitution in 2010, and this constitution created a, a framework of operation where it limited the powers of the president, and again, it created the position of the chief justice. The chief justice who is not directly appointed by the president. And this means that the chief justice is a person who can sit down and say that uh, this is not constitutional and this other one is constitutional. The, we created other independent bodies like the electoral commission body, the land, uh, the, 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 the land commission bodies. So you see, land is a critical asset of the ordinary citizens. And if you are just putting it in the hands of anybody or people who are being appointed by the president, people will be looking to be close to the president to take away your land. But we just wanted to ensure that people feel that they're safe, that nobody is coming to take their land at will. It's like they need to be those transparency mechanisms to ensure that there's those transfer and there's a, um, the way the mechanism which there is also the conflict resolution in, in case there's a dispute. So we were having different institutions which were protected. So we had the, like, the office of the attorney general being protected. It's a position which was given in the constitution that attorney uh, general you are appointed for this specific time or period of time and your position is protected. That means that when you are performing as attorney general, you're not at the mercy of the president. You are serving the nation. The chief justice will give you an also independent term, five-year term, that you are not at the mercy of the president. He cannot fire you. When you go to the parliament, the speaker of the parliament also was, he's also said that he, the president is not supposed to be interfering with these roles within the parliament. We are looking at the heads of commission, um, of commission, different commissions of the country, which is land commission. We had a commission like we established a like commission, cohesion and integration commissions. So all these commissions were put in place such that you are not, uh, even the auditor, auditor general's office, that if somebody is, 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 Stealing and the, 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 the government institutions are, are, are given the budget, are they able to be accountable? So the person who was checking this thing, like auditing the ministries, was also given independent office. And we also had an office uh, corruption and, and corruption co uh, uh, position that was also given protection. So that when they are given appointment, you're able What's to... What's the office again? So it's the Anti-Corruption co uh, Commission for 
Yeah, it's towards the um, it's it's called um anti-corruption commission. So it was supposed to be, it was also given mandate that it was supposed to be independent and it's um and given resources to ensure that they are able to perform. So the government ensure that there also the constitution given a platform for different institutions that were now were not directly interfered with. And if you, in the end for you to be appointing those positions, those are participated process that involve different level of um, uh, citizens uh, participating, like to see are these individuals credible to perform their roles. And actually, another thing we, we also had there is the, the appointment of the the head of the defense forces it was also given. Uh, it was also reinstated that he is supposed to be in office for a given term of like four years. Uh, so that when he's performing the like, work of defending the country, he's not afraid of being fired anytime. He's able to just stick on his lane of defending the country. And even the head of the police, it was also given a term so that even he's appointed, he has to be appointed through a participatory process where people ask, who is this person? It's just not appointed by the president. Who is this person? Is he able to protect the people? So this was safeguard like uh, people from being um, subjected to human rights violation by uh, the people who are supposed to be protecting them. So uh, this was a diversified power that was, uh, which has been distributed across. And again, another thing was granted was protection of the media itself. So that the president was not supposed, the, the government, the executive was not supposed to come direct contact the media in, without going through a due process of the law. So the media became an independent body said that it was becoming more to be supposed to be responsible to the people and uh, be able to amplify the voices of the masses. And actually it was given a, a platform within the parliament such that they were able to, pop, to like record recordings within the parliament and inform the citizens of what is happening in the country. So that's generally how we were looking at the participatory like process that the country has gone through up to until now. If if we look at the previous conflict that took place, especially after the the elections in uh, twenty seven, two thousand seven, yeah, two thousand seven, yeah. we learned that there were some clashes between the applicability of democracy, mm-hmm. depending on how the country chose to define it. I'm highlighting it and the ethnic groups are up the, the the differences with ethnic groups yeah so how would you analyze the applicability of democracy in this context of multi-ethnic groups i i want you to explain to me as someone not from kenya how do you find the balance because there is always a conflict at least we're learning it from other countries you see, um, I was I've been so awake about the Kenyan journey uh, into democracy, democratization process itself. And as I was observing it, that we have a strong role of the civil society. If the civil society is sleeping, it's slumber, means that the country is in great danger. So before the 2002 election, the people who, who before they got the government, they were part of the civil society. But when they got in the government, instead of advancing the voices that they were having before, like we want a responsible governance system, they decided now they're going to be against the people. And uh, the good thing that we were had, we were had before is that even the church, the leaders of the church were vibrant. But unfortunately, towards the 2007, we did not have that voice, special voice from the church, because some of them decided decided the government. And instead of telling the government you are wrong in one, two, three, as it was the case before, because we needed a voice that would ask, tell the government that this is wrong. They, these, these voices went down and the people lost trust in this body's ability to uh, mediate, like uh, to speak even to the people themselves that this 
thing is it's not good to fight because they already saw that they were left by themselves. So the culmination of the 2007 election is that we had lost of trust amongst the leaders who had been trusted to bring the community together. So this is the religious leaders. And two, at that point, we were not having an independent judiciary. So nobody, people were like, if the president appointed the chief justice and when you go there, they're just going to have a stamp what the president wants. So we are not going to the courts. At that point, lack of an independent uh, judiciary made it possible for people to feel that we will not get justice in that system. So we'd rather fight in the streets and whoever wins the war, let them take the country. And, and how, how would you think that the previous elections in 2017 have responded to that particular gap? Yeah, so in the 2017 election, um, unfortunately, my country had, has been, had a very strong judiciary lead head. Uh, his, his name is called um, Justice David Maraga, who just retired. So what happens is that we went through, went through elections when the parties came to this and said, we think this process is not fair. It was not, we think that the commission decided to run the elections not do justice for us. So we need uh, the, the court to sit down. And the Supreme Court sat down and listened to the case. And Kenya became one of the very few countries in the world where the court sat down and said, we can see this evidence that this election was not free and fair. And never mind the president was declared the pres- uh, as the winner of the election. We declared this election null and void. And we went back to election. And the country was like, the court has spoken. And this is what we wanted, that nobody is going to run away without being accountable. So the, we went for a run of the election. And, uh, and, 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 and we ended up having the current government, which is also hard to go through another process of the opposition coming together and having special conversation with the government that we can still work together. So I think there's another thing is that for these institutions to work together, you also need to see people themselves getting united on what they want to see in the country. Now that you mentioned accountability, when I look at experience with other African countries or within the region itself, that is one aspect within the political system that is very protected. Mm-hmm. And what we call accountability in the political studies or gov- governance and political studies is not necessarily what happens. I'm referring to the government reporting, the government listening, the government being the whole accountability in, in depth, right? Would you describe exactly how it happens in Kenya? Because it it sounds that you are happy about it, which is good. Um, so in Kenya, if I get to correct, is that when we look at... I, I can, I can uh, research. <clears throat> I want to understand how the accountability system is established. I'm now describing the way I understand the accountability system, right? There is a mechanism for um, throughout the implementation, there is this particular gap that now what has been budgeted is not what has been implemented or the amount of, you know, but when it comes to come back to the people and actually report that, hey, this is what we planned, this is what we need, and this is why we didn't do part of what we planned. And you see, uh, that's how I understand the accountability system. And I, I was glad that you describe it with a positive um, perception. But I want to understand how does it work? 
Great. Um, I think I mentioned when I was saying before is that we have independent bodies that have been given a lot of powers uh, and protection by the government uh, with the, uh, under the constitution, under our new constitution of 2010. So we have the Office of the Auditor General, we have the Office of the Anti-Corruption Commission. These two offices, their roles are supposed to ensure that they monitor so auditors are supposed to check whether the ministry are using the money as allocated and are they performing the task that they say they're going to do. They give back the report. And you also have the anti-corruption commission, which also looks at are there cases where people are using their positions to enrich themselves when they are in office. So they are more of like dealing with people who are taking away the money. The other side is more like, are they doing the right thing as they their promise? But um, the way in which Kenyan accountability system has been is to ensure we, we made a progress when we had a new constitution. Our country was devolved. Devolved means that it was divided into units, 47 different units. Instead of having like just one national government, and everybody is running towards heading this one government. Our country was divided into 47 different units, which were given resources. Now, the, the allocation started um, around 30% of the budget, but now it's going around 40%. Money which is given down to different of uh, these governments, like 47 governments within the country. Uh, they call the county governments. So... The national government is mainly 60% of the budget, but the county government takes the 40, 40% and they're headed by the governors. So the governors are also subject, they, ha- they have the members of the members of the county assemblies who are supposed to access the oversight role to see how is this money being used. So there are many regions of the country where those members of the county assemblies are able to hold accountable the governors to ensure that they participate in that, fully participate. But there are places where people are still trying to learn how do we utilize these platforms to develop our areas because development was so remote from people. But now money has been brought closer to you. Like the previous government called the Kenyan uh, Kibaki's government um, had instituted something called the Community Development Fund called the CDF. So this is a fund which was given out uh, to members of parliament that all constituencies, members of parliament, you have money that you can use it to start some project within their communities. So different individuals were now given mandates like they can participate in bringing development. And if they are not doing that, the people themselves will hold them accountable and ask them, you are given this money for community development funds. Did you use it to benefit the people or just use it to benefit yourself? So many members of parliament have now been not going to the second term because there are clear ways that people can use to show that this person did not perform their roles. So you are given money, you need to work. The governors themselves, if they are not performing their roles at the county level, bring the resources you given given to them to serve the locals to ensure that they're able to run their county governments effectively. Then there's, there's uh, the people are going to recall them. So we've been having that process that these people have given opportunity, like the president, like they have uh, two uh, at a term of five years, which can be renewed for one one more term, so like ten years of service maximum. But they have to ensure that they're serving the people, and when they're not serving the people, the people have the people have that 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 role that during the next election they can decide to elect them or not. Another thing is that we have the uh, independent body, uh, the election bodies that the, the person who is the chairman is also appointed through a process that is participatory. 
he is able to run an election that is able to bring out people who have been elected directly by the by, by, by the masses. So this may not be practically possible 100%, but the country has been making progress in ensuring that individuals who are able to perform, who are showing sense of accountability, are the ones who are going up. And again, the parliament has consistently tried their ways to ensure that uh, they are able to summon members and like uh, if it's the, the, the ministers themselves, cabinet secretaries, bring them into question to ask them about uh, issues which if, if they are not spending the money in the right way. So the parliament, the parliamentary account committee is able to like look at what they're doing. And actually our government, our parliament is divided into different committees which also like hold different uh, government uh, ministries into, ac- into account. So accountability has generally been uh, distributed to different levels of the government. And it is being seen as a way that um, it's used to protect the resources. And finally, before I even go away, is that the constitution also guaranteed the offices, apart from the office of the head of police, we also have them. It's called IPO. It is. It's called. It's called um, um, independent police oversight authority, which also serves to protect the people by exercising oversight on the police for themselves. So if when they are giving security and people feel that they are not working well, they can report them to independent police oversight authority. And through this authority, uh, many police, rogue police have been uh, cornered and have been brought to accountability. And uh, it's a process that is a continuous process that ensure that uh, people feel safe within their country. That's, that's really great because I look at it now from your explanation as a success, um, success story of a an African country in the process of getting itself to the best conceptualization of democracy. When we put all this system in place, the way I see it, the aim is to, in the end, mm-hmm. have people having better life. You recently mentioned human development, right? Mm-hmm. My question to that, looking at the statistics, how do you analyze the current human development index in Kenya? My country has been in a good progress to some extent, uh, human development, because um, as you know, it's been a destination um, that many people come to and a lot of investment has been brought in the country. Uh, although we've had challenges, a little bit of challenges, uh, let me first also still major in the development is that the government has done a lot of initiatives to use you, 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 the, the presidency initiated a process where 30% of all the governments, the government projects, the procurements eh, supposed to be given to youths and women and people with disability. So many young people were encouraged to get into business, being able to be suppliers to the government being able to offer services that the government can do. Uh, we had um, different uh, institutions, which were, uh, different banking systems which were brought in place that were supposed to help community members be able to borrow money and develop themselves. Uh, to a big extent, uh, we the trade industry has, has has gone very high and people have been in, in doing a lot of business in the country. But the challenge is that of late we've had a challenge because as COVID came and um, the fact that our government had not been expanding so much in supporting the local industry. So that lacked a lot because of, the, of this partnership, the Chinese government itself, which has not served the best interest of the people because China brings cheap things. And uh, in the long run, the local community, the in- industries which have been developed by people have gone 
down because of that. So generally, um, educationally, we have many people going to school because Kibaki's government introduced free primary education, and um, when he partnered with Elodinga, they expanded it to a secondary education. So we're having people getting educated. But the challenge is that the fact that we are we are having a lot of partnership with the Chinese um, government, and uh, um, we've not been able to expand the the industry so much so that it's to, to absorb people who are graduating from schools and uh, many local industries have died although um, business-wise trade uh, information technology that sector has been in the rise to some to a big extent because when, when i came to the u.s uh, the way they form company mechanical operates um, it is very high high level because we we can talk of there's more accountability that's in the, in the telecommunication in the, our telecommunication industry and it looks more efficient uh, um, and more friendly to the masses so um i think it's a case of here and there but generally we've not had a very very expansive um in our, our economy has not so much expanded especially to support the young people who have come out of schools although we've looking at issues of agriculture we have different parts of the country who are still doing agriculture, and the government has been there to support them although we know that um there's also those people who come up with their strategies to frustrate the local farmers uh, by rushing to import goods at the expense mm. of the local farmers. So we've seen we've, the, the current government has not been so strong against uh, in protecting these vulnerable populations like the farmers. And we still believe that we the, we are in a journey where we have to come to a, a, um, a position that local industries need that protection. And so the, the, I think this is where my government has failed in protecting the local industries, which are supposed to create an opportunity for the people. I asked you earlier when we were just talking of the records about ethnic groups, differences, how the, the country is divided. And I find that to be relevant to the setting of policies, because most of what you are telling me, as you describe, I see policies. Uh, you just mentioned that farmers, the government is there to support. I'm imagining oh, there is a policy behind that that guides the whole process. But then you mentioned, oh, there are also those who rush to import goods. I mean, oh, okay, there is a a trading policy going on and on, but but it helped me understand how it plays, unless it doesn't, of course. The designing of policies to effectively respond to these different ethnic and geographic groups in, in Kenya, I really want to perceive from you how does the policy framework help to respond this both angles, one avoiding the ethnic cleansings that sometimes people feel that, oh, there are benefits going to one side and not to the other. Uh, but how is that stated in the policies? I think generally, when, when it comes to issues of communities being able to be developed, um, it requires a lot of political will. It's it, We may start it at policy level uh, to distribute this development, but if we don't have a strong political will in protecting the masses, it becomes difficult. And uh, I think these policies also must be driven by political leaders themselves. So, and that's where we've had a challenge that our political leaders have not, they have, to some extent, they have really be, they have been successful in ensuring that some of our local industries are protected. But still, we have people who cling to the central power and uh, snake in goals that are disadvantaging other people. But generally, we've had the cases of communities seeming to have advantage, especially when it comes to trade. 
where they were benefiting the government, these communities are able to access the loans easily. But we've, in spite of that fact, we've been having a lot of initiatives that are also going to other communities to make them also feel that they are also part of the country and they can uh, they can utilize this support from the government. And the policies have been tried to ensure that people don't look at government services in terms of where they come from or who they are. It's the only way to look at government services or benefits is you are a Kenyan. So the only challenge that we've been having is that we've gone through a, story, a historic process that has made many people think that they were excluded. And be, this mindset of being excluded, uh, when it sinks into you, gives a lot of skepticism, especially when the government brings opportunities. So uh, we have communities who have always believed that they are favored. So when they see government coming up with things, they're like, oh, this is there for me. So we see these are two different groups. So it takes time to make the people who are skeptics to believe in some of the government initiatives. But then these people who have always been benefiting from the government, when they see opportunity coming, they grab it very fast. Uh, it's, it's, so sometimes it's a matter of uh, socialization and helping other people to internalize that. Oh, so the government can trust me with some resources, some money to do some project. And once I do this project, I can make my profit and return this money. So there are communities who has who still have difficulties learning that that the government can lend them money and they use it and maximize that uh, like um, bring make profits and be able to pay it back. So it is it requires a lot of educational. It requires a lot of uh, sensitization and it's a journey that people are still trying to develop um, that trust that whatever other communities were also benefiting before that gave them advantage. Also, us where we are, we can also benefit on the same. You're talking about uh, the government. These are just a few closing questions. Um, I have two more. Uh, this is one. When you talk about government lending money and uh, people taking the first benefits of it, it reminds me of the, you know, when the whole d- democracy process started being promoted. Uh, I'm looking at uh, Mozambique, for instance. There was a moment where we had many organizations in the country, especially international non-governmental organizations. And I learned a few years ago that Kenya wasn't very happy about those. Would you help me understand what's the role of the international community in between? I know you, you mentioned civil society, but I wasn't sure if you were referring to the national uh, force of civil society or you were also including the international uh, non-development organizations who most of the times also have their own mandates in the country. Yeah. You know, foreign policies, uh, agreements within the Ministry of Foreign Affairs or depending on which ministry. So there is a lot at a high level that goes around that probably at the grassroots is not perceived the same. So what do you take on it? The role of this uh, international non-governmental organizations in setting the policies in the country? Yeah, I think uh, the international um, human rights organizations or non-governmental organizations have played a critical role, especially in protection of uh, human rights in the country. And uh, they have helped in the framing of the policies that protects uh, the people and also um, that promotes inclusion, especially of the women. Actually, when we were making our constitution, the, the current constitution that we have, which was formulated in 2010, the, it is those international organizations such as the Amnesty International that are playing critical or central um, that are like oh, making people understand what certain kind of laws imply and that is applicable to them. 
And the fact that they're also being able to support like civic education, essentializing the masses that this is something that you need in your constitution. And when it is this way in the constitution, this is how it's going to empower you. And they have been making, um, ensuring that the bodies like the police oversight body was established that ensures that they had those statistics that we are having human rights abuses. The police are the ones who are doing these things. How do we bring this accountability? So I think they have been playing a critical role in educating the masses that it cannot be normalized for people being tortured under the government as institutions. So there's need to bring this sense of accountability and responsibility amongst different government organs. So these uh, uh, actually current views have like, out of the work they have done, it's led to formation of the Kenya National Human Rights Commission. So this is a, gov- a government-sponsored organization that protects human rights a commission. So their role has been so key, especially in partnering with government organizations and um, not only giving resources uh, like um, like financial resources, but also giving that uh, training capacity building itself and empowering these um, individuals in these organizations to be able to look at their role in ensuring that they're safeguarding the future of the country. And again, uh, we've been having also the international community themselves from the government aspect also is I had. They have been also playing a critical role in like uh, also partnering with um, these local organizations, like giving them the hope that there's some things which are realistic, which are which can be achieved. If you start looking at this way, then it's, then it's possible because we've seen it in our country, whether it is um, in Switzerland, whether in this other country, some of these things are possible. So it's upon you to drive them. And I think uh, when you look at the, when, when my country was thinking through the post-election balance, uh, for instance, like when we were having mediation happening, when the African Union was coming in and the UN coming in, uh, the hope that was was coming again, that the country had was that we have so many international communities who are finding Kenya as a home for many. So it is a collective responsibility to ensure that these political actors sit down and they talk. And that was a big thing that the United States of America did. Like they talk, uh, they gave them uh, um, a limit that we've seen people dying. We've seen lives being destroyed and property destroyed. So the only thing remaining is Kibaki, the president, and Raila Odinga, the position, you have to sit down. And we're giving you time. You have to come up with an agreement. So they were able to help uh, our political actors to come up with agreement that is the agenda of uniting and building a nation. So this is one thing that um, I think our international community, uh, through the national internet organizations themselves, they have been doing it. And uh, organizations like the Ford Foundations have been uh, working with local organizations to ensure that they are facilitated in doing the work that they want to do towards especially protection and empowering the communities to have voices, ensuring communities are able to feel that they're able to develop themselves and come up as strong. The last question is simple. This to deconstruct the legacies of colonialism. And I would like you to link with this. Uh, we have been discussing a lot about the interference about international bodies uh, or the sovereignty of the country, how it all of a sudden loses itself when there is a lot of high-level international interference to the extent that who calls the shots is no longer Kenya or Kenyans. It's someone from up above somewhere that comes and dictates. But So I want you to and precisely have your analysis on um, how would you propose to deconstruct the legacies of colonialism in Kenya? We choose whether we want to be agents of change or we want to be perpetual victims. 
if we decide and make a decision that this is what we want as a people that we want to be agents of change we want to be what we, we, we want to see and participate in achieving what we want to see in our country then it is very possible the only thing that has failed my country for instance is that whenever we do things for a short political advantage uh, it has always um, failed us in the long run but if you do it for the sake of the country and for the future that is beyond what we are seeing, then we, it's, it's always guarantee more success. For instance, I think the reason why we sunk, we went back to postulation violence and found ourselves in sometimes tension in our country is because we've been acting, we've been working with actors who will only believe that uh, we have to change regimes and so on and so must go home. Instead of trying to build coalition, instead of educating them and engaging them, and making them understand the opportunities that we have as to partner together and optimize our game together. We've decided to fight ourselves amongst ourselves. So this, I think, should stop, especially for the civil societies. I have seen the journey the civil society take. Don't only base your struggle towards removing a regime because if you don't change the structures, even if you bring a genius person, they'll still fail. But if you look at what you want to achieve as a country, join together and say this is the roadmap point to follow then we can educate the rest of the country and ensure that the people who are there in power now they are able to understand our aspirations as a people and we make them as partners and build coalition with them and start the transformation journey because it's a process but if you keep on waiting in the next election that means for the election that that has been the biggest challenge that i've seen that every time if you think that every problem will be fixed by election election don't fix things it is us who fix things and the elections just come to give chance to those who have been prepared to lead and if we don't uh, build this process as a journey and wait for elections, we'll always find ourselves in the same place. And this is the reason why we have interference coming in because we believe that certain we have to get to certain points that when we're going to achieve what we want. And at that point, when we are there, we already have those tensions that we cannot, we cannot trust our local mechanisms to assist us and we look outside. And when they come, most of the time, they are, they are also looking for their interest. No, looking, you know, not only looking at your own interest, but the interest of others too. So it ends up, we end up coming up with something that is not working for both of us. It's going to cultivate certain kinds of hatred and um, people who are no longer focused on building their country, but destroying each other. So to me, I'm feeling that as a, as a country, uh, as a nation, also as people who believe in their aspirations, we can always come together and start where we are. Let us safeguard what we've gained and let us dream. Let us give that opportunity for all of us to dream and sit together, talk about it and come out and say that we know we have been in these situations, but we are not going to remain here. And because solution relies on us, let's start by starting to effect it. Because the more we depend on the West to come and bring the solution, and the more we, we empower the, the structures that we've been trying to, to fight, and the more we find ourselves remaining backwards and not able to see where we can move. And just to sum it up is that we have a beautiful country, we have a beautiful nation, and we have wonderful people who can do a great job. Let's not be short-sighted. Let's look far and build our country to serve even the next generations. When we look at serving, uh, we're doing best for the future generations, we'll be able to serve ourselves. But if you are time to serve ourselves now, we'll end up 
destroying ourselves because selfishness never bring any success. It only bring more hatred and more destruction to the nation. Thank you, Victor. That was a nice conversation.